Welcome, Wheatland family and friends. Thanks so much for joining us again. You are listening to Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. I am Luke LaDuke, senior pastor here at Wheatland, and today I will continue our discussion with Dr. Dan Spanger on the sermon series, The Lost Sons, and the parable of the prodigal son from Luke chapter 15. And in this episode, we discuss the struggle of the scribes and the Pharisees at Jesus's eating habits, uh, the anger of the older brother at the feast that he comes home to, and the way in which costly love and reconciliation transform us from servants into loved and loving children of God. Friends, thanks for coming along. Pastor Luke, we have gone through Easter and uh, appreciate the way the church handles those, uh, those services um, and the way they get us to focus on what the resurrection really means in our life. And I want to say thank you to allowing for a, a more elongated conversation on the resurrection, since I do think we end up jumping off it a little too quickly. So I thought that was a, a good yeah. choice. Yeah, thanks, Dan. That's a, always a great joy. And I think it's one of those things that uh, we're able to do well here at Wheatland because of uh, our, our own particular approach to um, our liturgical life here is mm-hmm. that we're, we're not in such a hurry to rush into Memorial Day or Mother's Day. We, we actually can take these times uh, to really celebrate the resurrection and, and spend some time with it. Yeah, and that's good. And I'll, I'll, before we jump into today's sermon, and I'm putting you on the spot here. Yeah. Um, but one of the one of the questions I've had, and I don't have to say where this is coming from, is the idea that you know if if the resurrection is the normal part of our life, why do we stop during Easter mm-hmm. um, just to focus on it? I don't know if you just want to speak to that. Yeah, no, that's a great question because I've had that uh, question asked me in recent days. Um, yeah, I think it's the same reason that you probably stop once a year to celebrate your anniversary with Tara, or I stop once a year to celebrate my anniversary with Terry Lynn. Um, there are things that of course are true about your marriage. And that is you celebrate that. That's a reality of your ongoing life. You're not who you are without your bride. She's not who you are. She's not who she is without your gifts and your love and all of that. That's, that's how your life works. And there's always at every at every moment, there's a recognition and a, a gratitude for the fact that you all are married and, and, and that. But there is also something very important about setting aside time on, right. on some regular basis, annual, whatever. That's how traditionally we celebrate it, to key in on that and to celebrate it with thoughtfulness and intentionalness and to sort of take time to work out the implications of it. Hmm. Uh, and, and I think that's the same way. I think this is a broader conversation too with the church calendar, the use of the church calendar, yeah. because I think the question that's behind that question is why does Wheatland talk about the church calendar? Why, why do you guys sort of track along with, um, you know, the church's 
beginning the church calendar in Advent and then Christmas and then and then Lent and, and Easter and Ascension and Pentecost and all of that. Um, why is it that you guys sort of give give lip service to that? Is that a man-made invention? Is that something that is just tradition and you all are sort of leaving the scriptures to go and, and trust tradition? And I think the answer to that at least from my mind, uh, there's a couple of ways to answer it, but probably the most, uh, the most immediate answer in my mind is that our lives often get ordered by some organizing principle. <laughs> and and I, I've thought about it this way. We're either going to celebrate by a calendar that is foisted upon us from outside of the life of Jesus. And, and that's really what the church calendar is. It's, the, it's a centering of time based on the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. So mm -hmm. in, in that sense, I think, well, in one sense, if you're sort of cognizant of the church calendar, what you're seeking to do is to order your life and your time by the centrality of the very central thing, the very central event of all of history. And that is the, 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 birth, the incarnation, and life and death of Jesus. Um, because otherwise you get a calendar forced on you. You will yeah. celebrate Super Bowl Sunday and we'll have a we'll do that and or it'll be Mother's Day. And that, nothing wrong with mothers or, or anything like that, but um, your calendar will be organized. You'll you'll either do a Hallmark calendar <laughs> or you'll do uh, some some calendar. And and so that's 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 the beginning of an answer. Okay, well, maybe we'll push us off onto the uh, pastors and a prof podcast. Yeah, and maybe we could do a combined something like church calendar sacraments ordering yeah. your life. Yeah, because I think there's there have been a lot of conversations historically in the church as to whether since the Reformation whether that's mm -hmm. healthy, useful to what right. degree it is. Right. And I think Wheatland certainly making some decisions in that regard that other churches, at least probably the churches that some of our congregants, most of our congregants have gone to, have not made. Right. So it's worth maybe airing that out. So we'll. We'll offset that conversation to another time. Maybe we'll, sure. we'll tackle that next. Yeah, we, that sounds. We great. dealt something very light and easy, like racism and social justice. Yeah, let's exactly. dig into something that's yeah a little more controversial. Yeah. Uh, so for the sermon this week, you were looking at now the beginning conversation of the elder brother um, in Luke, and um, this was uh, it's interesting that we get a bit of a change. Most of the sermons have been up this point: the relationship between the father and the younger son. Then we mm -hmm. had this break in Easter. I don't know if that's what it was designed. Yeah. And now you're coming into the older son and, and it really, really the camera's got to do this like, you know, almost 180 degree shift. Right. From the context of disruption where the son, and, and I think you've done a good job of framing this as not prodigality as much as his disruption of the family and the community. Mm. Now we're shifting the camera back to the traditions and the stability and the order that already exist. And you're, you're in a sense, I guess, capturing all of that in the sentiment and perspective of the son. Um, it, would you say, and I know this is the, the traditional way this is read, and I suppose it's fairly obvious from the parable, mm -hmm. that Jesus is using the older brother as a foil for talking about the Pharisees and the scribes, maybe the Sadducees here. So what 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 is it, and I know you, you touched on the sermon, what is it there? So we know what the younger son wants. What what is it they want? And why mm -hmm. would they why would they empathize here with the older son? as yeah. Jesus is talking. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you're right, Dan, is that most interpreters have pointed that out. It's no surprise or secret that um, 
Jesus is answering the scribes and Pharisees' first question um, or, or their, their point of grumbling and, and dispute with him is that he eats with sinners. And um, yeah, I think it's really important that we, here's how I thought about it, to be honest with you. We, we've often come to the younger son in this parable with lots and lots of our own um, assumptions about who he was and what he was doing. And I, I wanted to spend some time in the first part of the sermon series, really coming back and reexamining some of those. Um, was, the, was the focus of, and, and I think you can kind of feel if, if I, I hope it came out in this sermon uh, as, as it relates to the way we started is one of the things that I was doing at the beginning was saying that the younger sons, um, the, the, the repentance that gets attributed to the younger son so often was not a, in my reading of this and in my meditation on this text, the focus has not, was not really about what the younger son accomplished in the first part. I remember those first sermon series where I was saying, well, I'm not sure that uh, when he's under the tree there uh, feeding the pigs, that what he's thinking about is repentance and mm -hmm. reconciliation. He's thinking about going back and, and, you know, finding a way to survive because of that bit about being a hired servant. Mm. Um, and so I, I, you know, I pressed us on that and there are various opinions about that, but, but I wanted us to re-examine our assumptions about what the son was doing and what role the father played in the son's reconciliation mm. and, and, and repentance. Um, and, I, and I think I tried to put the onus of that on the father's initiative towards him, not letting him live as a servant, but by love and by welcome and reconciliation, costly putting off of his, of, of, of the expectations of a father in that context to love his son from servant back into sonship. Um, and so I come to this passage uh, with the elder son, and I want to challenge the way we have normally, I think, at least I have, you know, when you're preparing a sermon and delivering a sermon, you, you sort of have to hope that the way you've thought about it, if you've thought about it wrongly, is a way a lot of people have. You, you sort of have to pick away. And I think, at least in my experience and in my conversations, that many of us have thought of the older son as sort of this sulky dude who was just concerned about his own wealth and his own money. And now the mm. fatted calf has been spent and that was going to be his one day, blah, 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 whatever. And all those things I think are, there's certainly, we're going to get into that this coming Sunday. But the main point that I was trying to get us to re-examine is to hear what is the Pharisee and scribes question earnestly? Why does this man eat with sinners? And what I think is at the bottom of the elder son's anger and refusal to go into the feast is that Jesus was eating with sinners. And, and that was where I wanted to look. And that's why I started to talk about what does it mean to eat with sinners? What is eating? What are meals? All that stuff that I sort of began with that felt like maybe this doesn't actually, I don't know, it felt like it could have been a sermon of its own in one <laughs> sense, didn't it? Uh, I, I mean, if you felt that, I felt that too, but I, I wanted to get something out there 
in a quick way that would help us to reorient how we thought about the question from the scribes and Pharisees and from the elder brother and the anger and the emotion that Jesus was eating with sinners. I think it's helpful because I, I think if I think back, you when you talk about meals setting boundaries, I think under the umbrella of, yeah, hanging out with sinners is a disruptive reality. It's a disruptive thing. Um, mm -hmm. The scribes and Pharisees were right in one sense to be concerned, not because they didn't know what Jesus was doing. Right. But if any other person had come in out of religious authority and just simply accepted the scribes and the Pharisees and said, hey, well, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with tax gatherers. You guys are doing a great job. Pat on the back. Mm, Love you guys. Yeah, yeah. They would be right. Right. I mean, right. I mean, they, and so in, in one sense, the, the 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 older son not being aware of exactly what's going on is right. Is that, right. Is that correct? Yeah. No, I think that's right. I think that's that's exactly right. And that's um, I made the I made use of uh, one scholar's work um, and she, and she I, I even read the quote, but the end of the quote said she's talking about the role that food played in um, Judaism and early Christianity. And one of the things she said was food was a way of talking about the law and lawlessness. And I think that is really like that's a really helpful thing to understand that meals and food in that context was a way of talking about law and lawlessness. And if you extended welcome and broke bread with someone, that meant some, you were saying something about their own law keeping and their, or their lawlessness if you refuse to eat with them. And, and, and so, yeah, I think that's true um, that there was a sense in which the scribes and the Pharisees and the elder brother in, in, in the parable were saying something definitive about what the younger son had done. And so, and so in that, in that, I mean, there's a nitty gritty piece in one sense to say, this is how meals function, but the zoom back a little bit is to say, yes, it's, I think you mentioned this in a sermon, society has rules. There's, there's ways we all get along. There's responsibilities we all have, and those are crucial. If we don't have those, we have disorder. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and at one point, meal becomes the metaphor for all of this. Right. And so to zoom back a little bit and say the scribes and Pharisees, whatever the meal issue is true, more largely right. they're there. And I think you said this off camera, um, off mic, was that you've got and I think this is right. Right. Israel is a very delicate place right now. They've got a lot of threats on the outside. There's a lot of disunion inside. Mm -hmm. can, can the Sanhedrin, which is the governing body in Jerusalem, mm -hmm. handle one more <laughs> on? controllable division right for the sake and future of israel and yeah. if all that anxiety is coming to bear in the way they're dealing with jesus then maybe we have a little more sympathy for the older brother right yeah no i i think that's a great way to put it, it that's an excellent way to think about it it reminds me of um what seminary professors uh at least in the languages um would talk about during translation work and let me give a caveat and say not that any seminarian who graduates <laughs> is is qualified in any sense to do real translation work Fair enough. But, but even even what they teach us they're saying um the the difficult reading when you're looking at a, a bunch of variant readings and extant manuscripts they'll always say the difficult reading is the preferred reading yeah. and and um and i think that's basically what i wanted us to do with this parable is to say and, and you know oftentimes in general, and you know this, this is another rabbit trail, which is fun because that's what this podcast is about, is right. rabbit trails. Um, but uh, we have often um, 
read the scribes and the Pharisees and, the, and Israel's situation, uh, we've always taken the easier reading, I think. And when you, we start to read it the way you've just described it, like they're in a very precarious situation. These are the Sanhedrin, the, the, the religious leaders are longing for God's promises to come. And there are some very zealous examples of that, of whom the Apostle Paul is one. Apostle Paul was not just an angry um, dude. He, he was zealous for the law and and he was zealous for all of the promises made to Abraham in his persecution at when he was Saul uh, in his persecution of the church right. but we've often read we've we've often um, read it very easily and quickly as well these are people who were uh, hateful and um, didn't love Jesus and they should have loved Jesus because it was really apparent that Jesus was coming to save people from their sins so they could go to heaven when they die. And there's, there's all of that is true in there at one level, but that's not exactly the full and, and, and robust contextual understanding of the mm -hmm. new Testament world of, of the, of, of the first century world. So in, in one sense, can we say that, you know, the, the brother of the scribe, because, you know, Jesus makes a statement, you know, your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes mm -hmm. and Pharisees. Mm -hmm. um, and we all, we all sort of wince at that and go, well, who, who wouldn't be? Right. Jesus seemed to be laying down a pretty high bar mm -hmm. on that. And so in one sense, in one sense, yeah, the fears and the concerns they have are legitimate. Um, and, and is that, is that the weight of the conversation that the father's about to have with the older son is that mm -hmm. everyone hearing this would have understood Oh, right. this, this, this right. is the, this is the conscientious son now. This is right. the son that we get. Yeah. I think there's one sense in which, um, both of these sons are the story of Israel, aren't they at mm -hmm. one level? I mean, if you were to think of them that way, yeah. um, the father, it, it, can, can I zoom out that far for a second and, and so. talk about it that way? Um, if you remember your readings in the Old Testament and in the prophets, part of the part of God's beef with his people, in a sense, is that he has always longed for them to be his children. That was his deepest desire. Like when you were laying bloody in a field, remember this language yeah. from the prophets, and there was no one to pay regard to you. And when you were as good as dead, I plucked you up and I cleansed you. And I gave you life and I fed you and I nourished you. So all along God's design for Israel as a nation were for them to be his son, his true child, and through his true children to bless the world and bring mm -hmm. about uh, redemption for all of the races of the world, all humanity, all ethnos, uh, all nations. But um it seems to me that when you think about it this way, these are two lost sons that represent two ways in which Israel continually failed to be the sons that God was calling them to be and graciously um, trying to make them out to be. Mm. And for the younger son, he uh, sort of leaves the home that were given to him and goes off and, and is seeking other things and other ways. Uh, the younger son 
remains at home, but both of them are have missed the point of what the laws were given to do, hmm. in a sense. Hmm. So, so now that's a different reading. And I know someone's going to catch you there. You said the younger son stays at home. I know what you meant. Was older son. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. Just I know someone's going to say, ah, we, we yeah, corrected thank it. You. Um, mo- uh, there, there's been at least my understanding the reading of the younger son of the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a fair is that a fair reading also? I think that's uh, yeah, I think it's layered. I think yeah, I think okay. I think it's certainly layered. Um yep, that and that's the I was reading somewhere this past week where um somebody said when you're reading a parable, uh, the parable isn't um a parable, one of Jesus stories isn't just a delivery system for a yeah. set of ideas. It's not like this means that, and that means that, and that means that, and some boom. medieval allegory right. Right. method. Yeah, they describe it rather like a house in which the the hearer of it, whether you're reading it or you're listening to it as it's originally given, is invited in to dwell. And 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 inside that house, there are a number of doors and windows and rooms out of which you can see. Uh, see what's going on from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a helpful thing when you talk about um, just what you brought up. Yeah. Is, is, is the younger son, the Gentiles and the older son. And I think there's a way in which that's true and, and you can make those connections, but right. I also see it this other way as well, because he is in, in one sense, Jesus is in one, he is answering a question to a particular community there. Right, 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 right. Well, that's, and that's, Another important important conversation, maybe not not today, but I think right. to have is just I think the 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 I don't know the skill the art of hermeneutics is lost. I don't think of, we're always looking for this very digital. Yeah, you know, this is what this text means. And I know I've had a lot yeah. of evangelical friends um, who who had a very strict reading, and then you try to challenge a reading, and they they can't accept that. But parables specifically are very hard to nail down. Yeah, um, and 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 for whatever purpose Jesus wanted. I mean, quite frankly, in quoting from Isaiah. He was speaking so that many people would not understand. So we ought to probably be aware of the fact that we're not going to always get it. Mm -hmm. Let me, let me, um, one of my more confused, um, one of the things that confused me in the sermon, although I understand all the points, but I'm going to see if I can tie them together here. So if you can, if you can walk this out, um, is that the, the desire for the order in society is one thing. So you got the older mm-hmm. brother saying, I want things ordered. Yeah. Then you've got this idea that if the brother comes back and it's not costly and um, that he's not paying, he's not being disciplined in some way. And I, I don't know. So, so you're, you're, I think you, you spent some time talking about for the father, this was not cheap grace. This was not easy. He had to mm-hmm. accept all these costs to his reputation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. What's, the, what's the connection between the desire for an ordered society and an ordered family Mm-hmm. And this need for costliness are, are they too related? Is this this is this the older brother just being a little too judgmental to say I'm not happy unless I see this boy suffer, or is there is there a point to the costliness? How does how does that and the need to have that out there related yeah. to this this idea that order needs to be maintained? Right. I I think one of the things that I was hoping to say um, less confusedly than perhaps well, I don't know I what said confused, it. I just but I, I think one of the things that I was hoping to say is that the order exists, but the order exists and is accomplished and, and brought about in a different way than perhaps the younger son 
had expected and demanded. Um, and by that, I mean that what, and this goes back to my ideas that I, I have about uh, certainly it, the elder son being a picture of Israel and her religious religious um, life. And, and, and the idea that I had in mind is that what actually brings about God, the father's will in the situation is sacrificial love rather than insistence on the demands and the rules. So that there's a sense that what was ultimately bring about the flourishing of that family beyond the rules and beyond the laws was love that restores a, a broken sinner. And that this is actually what, 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 what the elder son wants to accomplish through the law keeping could actually only ever be accomplished through sacrificial love. And, and I think that, of course, this reminds me of Galatians, our series in Galatians. This reminds me of um, that, that idea in Galatians that the law was a schoolmaster, or that's King James Version. The law was a tutor, that it was in place uh, for, for a temporary time, but it, it was always, uh, the law was always only temporary. And that it is actually through love and sacrificial and costly love that strangers are made sons or, or the rebellious are brought home and that sort of thing. So that's, that's sort of the idea that I had in my head as we came to it. And it seems to me like if we're talking about the elder son as Israel, he is, he, he is struggling to see that the law was not an end of itself. The law could do a lot of things, but it could never produce the sort of familial love that the father had in mind. So this, this connects when Jesus says you tithe your mint and you're coming, but you mm -hmm. ignore the weightier things of the law. Yeah. That this is That's not, nice. and Jesus, Jesus makes a statement right in, um, in the Sermon on the Mount. They didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. Mm -hmm. And the statements like, do nothing, the word, not a single jot or tittle of the law will, so that, that seems like a lot of work on Jesus' part to, to confirm that what this is happening is not exactly that. And I, and I, I guess from that perspective, the costliness is, is simply the, the measure by which it happens. Yeah. But the reality is, is that reconciliation is not an abandonment of the rules and the, uh, that govern society and right. the family. Right. But this reconciliation is, would you say, a, a revival of them, a, a reconstitution of uh, them? Yeah, a, it's a, a it's a form a re, of them. It's a reanimation of them in a mm -hmm. sense. It's it's um, being led back to them with new eyes in, in uh, and and a new heart for them because now these rules are um, they're reconstituted as laws of love in a sense that this is where they're leading um, and they're leading to this love that is beyond what we ever expected and what the um, beyond servanthood into sonship. So the laws could make good servants, but only love makes sons and daughters mm -hmm. in a sense. Um, mm -hmm. I was, I, I thought I might, I, I came across this last week 
and I'll probably at some point trot this out this coming Sunday, but um, this idea of, of, of sonship that the, the law could never, could never accomplish in a way. But it says, uh, this is Kenneth Bailey, and he says each son, he, he's talking about the idea of sonship in the parables, in, in, in this parable. And he says each son returns to the father either defining the older son or intending to define the prodigal, his relationship to father as that of a servant before a master. Um, if Looking ahead to this week, um, one of the things that we'll hear the younger son say in the sermon coming up this week is, look, these many years I have served you. And to me, that's a very interesting thing for the son to say to his father. Um, he's essentially saying, I've slaved for, you know, he, he has still missed that idea of sonship. So he says, uh, Bailey goes on to say, the father will not accept this definition. He offers costly love to each out of his determination to have sons responding to love mere, rather than merely servants obeying commands. And I just think that's a rich sort of um, a, a helpful analogy to see what this, what the father's love is doing in these relationships is meant to transform them into people who love in some way, in some measure, like the father has loved them. So, so that, there seems to be some good parallels there to what we seem to be facing. And so let, let's go, let's take the older brother as our metaphor. We, is, is the solution to a lot of the problems in our society to simply just abandon just abandon the rules. It, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. Mm -hmm. We just want to show love to everyone. That older brother is just right. so pernicious and self-gratifying. Yeah. yeah. Let's just open our arms and say, whatever, whoever you are, whatever you're doing, we don't care. We just want to show you love. Um, mm -hmm. is, that, is it fair just to, to walk away from the older brother that way? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not at all. Yeah. And I think that's, that's probably the difficulty is that we, we know how pernicious bare law keeping can be. Mm. We've seen that, like, I think, especially if you were to talk to people of our generation, are we of one generation, Dan, are you and I? <laughs> You're, the, uh, it's, it's optimistic. It's, You're treating me optimistically, but okay. that's fine. We'll accept it. Yeah, that. but I, I, I think there's, um, I think there's a deep sense among um, my own contemporaries mm. I'll say that grew up in the sort of brand of evangelicalism that I grew up in. And, and, and that's, I mean, I grew up in my own particular version of it, but it's broadly um, the same with minor differences that can be major. But the point that I'm getting at is when you talk to people who grew up in that, the tendency among my peers and my friends of, of my generation has been to simply abandon um, abandon any sort of order in favor of love because they saw what bare law keeping produced. And their critique is actually dead on in a sense. Mm. If you grew up in, uh, let's say, in a world where it didn't matter what was going on in the inside, as long as you kept the outside of the cup clean in a mm. sense, um, that that was what was most important. Mm. Um, and, and I think their critique is fair 
but it only goes so far. Mm. It only, it, it, it does not actually there, if you abandon order for love, if you abandon, if you don't believe that what experiencing the love of Jesus in the cross and resurrection does is lead you back to the law with mm. a new heart mm. and a new love and a new way to love and a new way to live within God's good designs, mm. then you, you, you have, you still have an, a, a, another form of oppression in mm. a sense that does not lead to flourishing, mm. but leads to, you, you, you have different problems for sure, but problems nonetheless. That's good because I think what, if I think back to what you were doing in the sermon, you know, making the making the statement that what this sacrificial love does is restore the home and the family and the order. And I think if you, you know, you can imagine Jesus telling this parable to us in America in the 21st century, I think he would have reversed it, right? Because we would have all empathized with the younger brother. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe in this case, he would have killed the fatted calf for the older brother you know, for saying, <laughs> yes, I still, right. I still want to hold to what, what the law is. Right. Because in that context, I mean, everyone would have understood. I, I don't know who would have been sympathetic to the younger son in that context. And maybe right. in, the, in the hearing of it, no one. We're all very sympathetic. Yeah. You understand? We're just all very judgmental of the older son. And maybe right. that's a big mistake here. Yeah. That's yeah. a great point. And, and I think that's sort of where the um where we'll go this sunday at one level is that the father refuses to let the younger son or the elder son he refuses to let the elder son talk in terms of anything but sonship and the elder son tries at each point i've served you low these many years and and to that the father will say my uh, in, in fact, in I'm, I'm preaching Sunday sermon, but that's okay. This is how I work things out is, is verbally, and I'll work it out a hundred different ways before Sunday. Um, but, uh, he, you know, the father says to him, um, he, he says, I worked for you with, I worked for you as a servant all these years, and I never disobeyed you, and you never gave even me even a goat. I'm not even talking about the fatted calf. I'm talking about just a goat to celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, so, so here he is, he now is unsunning himself. He refuses to identify as the brother of this son who now has been reconciled and brought back in as a son, this son of yours. So he, re he recognizes that's what's happened here. This son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you have killed the fattened calf for him. And again, I was arguing this Sunday that the fattened calf was not killed because of the younger son. The fattened calf was killed because of the father's costly love. And he said, and, and the father's response is, and he said to him, son, that is a different word that um, in the Greek, that, that word is not the normal word that we the deeper son, we it's not we us. Um, it is a, it is a term that is laden with endearment and with, with um, it, it's like saying my dear son hmm. you are always with me and all that is mine is yours he he won't i mean ultimately the decision to walk away from his sonship does rest on the shoulders of the elder brother but at every point the father will not let him do what he wouldn't let the younger son do hmm. let me back as your hired servant i'll, I'll yeah. be your hired servant that hmm. idea um, I don't know where we were going with that, but, um, 
anyway, that I think is, is, is the way that love transforms. Hmm. Um, it won't let, it, it won't be happy with servants. It, well, and it I think must that, make sons. Yeah. And I think the idea of, you know, I think we've in the modern time, if, if we could say it, our, for a lot of people, I think reconciliation now just means open acceptance. Yes. The reconciliation happening here is a restoration. And I think that's a really hard thing to imagine because we say, well, everything is so fraught with all these problems in the past that we need something new, but actually Jesus is very keen on restoring what was lost. And so reconciliation is not a way of abandoning all of these things he's been building up to Israel, but it's a way of actually, and I think you said this, right? It's, it's finally pointing it in the direction it was always intended to go, which mm -hmm. I think is interesting when Jesus says that love of neighbor and God and neighbor was the whole point of the law and the prophets. So in one sense, by restoring that, he's restoring all the law and the prophets again, mm -hmm. um, that, that actually the law keeping of the older brother in some sense has done abuse to the order of the household, the way it was supposed to be maintained. Yes. So, so we say that in the scribes and Pharisees, which I think agrees with Christ's criticism of the scribes right. and Pharisees. Right. The things that they were consumed of were not the weightier matters. Yeah. Like, yeah. like you mentioned a moment ago, they would tithe every little thing that came into their house, dill or cumin or whatever. Mm. But, uh, and, and I think that's another thing that sometimes we often forget is that the weighty matters, the weighty matters, weightier matters of the law were always very clear to it. Mm. I mean, it, it wasn't as yeah. if um, Jesus came and said, no, love is at the heart of the law. And Israel's like, what? I never heard that before. Right, right. No, that was always the thing. If from the very beginning, it, it wasn't about circumcision of the foreskin. It was ultimately about circumcision of the heart. It, yeah. it was not about um, loving. I, I mean, it wasn't just about uh, these sacrifices. It was about a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Right. It was about these ultimate places of love and fidelity towards mm. God. Which um, is, I think goes to Galatians, the point Paul's making that law being the schoolmaster teaches us how to take on that posture. Mm -hmm. But then the posture then needs to be one pointed towards love the way that the son is being welcomed, not pointed right. towards that's the point of this whole thing. Yeah. The law has a purpose. Yeah. And, and, and the point, I mean, the point that we're seeing in the whole grand story, if I can do that for a minute, is that Israel could not love like that. Hmm. And it took true Israel, Jesus, coming as the real Israelite, as hmm. Israel, as Israel could be, and coming and keeping the law, but also keeping the weightier matters to the point hmm that he did in his life and his death. Hmm. And, and now that flows out and that's the power of the spirit and the beauty of the gospel and sanctification and all that wrapped into one that his love now hasn't abolished the law, as he says, it's transformed the law. It has given you the ability to grasp the weighty matter of the law. Now you can go back and deal justly with one another hmm. In, hmm. In, in the ways that the old Testament law had all of these um provisions for if your if your ox gets out and it gores a neighbor and you knew it was going to gore a neighbor and you didn't you know all of these things mm. and at the heart of it is with love now you can go back and live out of that very flourishing that the law does actually provide mm -hmm. and then and then the prophets become clear writing the law on the heart mm -hmm. now is something that is done by the spirit in some way and, and is this what yeah. jesus is trying to 
in some way get them to see or into not see since parables are right right you know Hidden intentionally time. confiscating yeah. but right confiscated but yeah okay and I, I i think that's i think that's helpful and that's uh and i i guess then what does it do for us is it it um it shows our challenges it puts our challenges in relief also because we we need to see our love as reconciliation love as restorative love to our mm. neighbor um yeah that can't easily be defined as you know mm -hmm. do the younger son do the older son it's in between this massive space that's really difficult to navigate yeah. for our neighbors and our friends yeah and I, I i don't know if this there's there's something about the story of zacchaeus that i think is really neat in all of this because you, you talk about jesus eating with tax collectors and mm -hmm. sinners his you know he finds zacchaeus in a tree and he comes and he says you know I'm, I'm coming to your house for lunch. Come on down out of that tree and let's go have lunch. And being loved by Jesus, what does it send Zacchaeus out to do after that? He goes and restore. Yeah, he, yeah. yeah you know, he, he goes, he doesn't abandon the law. The hmm. love that Jesus um, pours out upon him in sitting with him across a meal sends him back to keep the law to the very minutest idea that mm -hmm. if you have robbed from someone, then you pay them back fourfold. If you have stolen, restitution is fourfold. And so Zacchaeus yeah. does that because the, so he doesn't abandon it. I think, oh, well, all's forgotten because I've, that's right. just one little idea, I think, mm. in which the, the love of Jesus sends us back out to keep the law with joy. Yeah, that's well that, that goes to jesus interactions with the rich young ruler and that mm. all the lie of captain i think you can see jesus going oh i'm sorry you've missed what all the so you can keep the points but if you're not keeping it for the purpose to go back and re-keep them would be a whole different experience yeah. and I, yeah. I think two of our our society left and right and all over that's got these very powerful simplistic sort of rules you gotta you know just do these things and you're doing it right love is just so much more complicated than that how how do you live the law out in total oh, love to your neighbor is just very complicated. It's it, it's incredibly complicated, and I think what it I think what it does though is it gives me such new conviction and new um, new new I don't know um, commitment to say that. The church are the only, the, those who are uh, recipients of the love of Jesus and acknowledge it and embrace it are the only ones fit for this sort of work. Mm -hmm. And if we, that's why, like, sort of when we talk about in our, in our podcast about race or, or uh, um, and, and we've been thinking about this, what is the church's role in, in, in our current culture and that sort of thing? The broad point is that nobody apart from the spirit and apart from being grasped by that sort of love, there's really no hope for what can be, what, what we all really long to see happen between uh, races and ethnicities in our own country. That vision is a gospel vision. Other people have it, but they, they're not equipped to, to work it out in the way that the church is uniquely equipped to work well, that out. That's great because that goes to your point about costliness. And I think the, what the Holy spirit needs to do in some of the work, we are just not capable on our own of doing. And I, I, I think if anything, our culture is all missed is that they feel this is all very doable. Mm. We don't come to it and say, Hey, we're Christians. We can figure it all out. We, 
probably yeah, the attitude yeah, here yeah. is yeah, we come into the house going the spirit better do this because we're just right. incapable which is probably the place to begin all of this and and that we can actually see we ought to by the gift of the spirit the spirit is the great illuminating light of god mm. in in us and in his world we ought to be the ones that see the things most clearly mm. and 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 um we're, we're not always that and i you know i mourn that but of all people we ought to be the ones who are calling attention to this and 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 asking for out of a heart of deep humility and and a deep sense of our sin asking for god's love and light in living out um his gospel and his law in loving ways well it's good as as always um so i'm, I'm trying to think of a, of a good tagline to end on something like this has been cross-reference <laughs> yeah exactly i don't, know, that, I don't, I don't know, know that's the way to do it but we'll no We'll get something eventually, but well, thank you, Luke. I look forward to is it is the next sermon the final sermon in this series? It or? is, it is. I'm going to try to wrap it up Sunday um, with with some of these thoughts about um, the elder son seeking to be a servant in the same way. Well, well, I'll I promise I'll have something for Sunday. I don't <laughs> I, I don't have it yet. I'm toying at the edges of it, but uh, well, I, Tuesday Tuesday for those who haven't done sermon prep, Tuesday is rather early in the game. Oh yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Send those cards and letters if you have ideas. <laughs> and, thank uh, you, Pastor Luke. Yeah, thank you, Dan. I enjoyed it. Friends, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. You can learn more about our church and discover additional resources on our website wheatlandpca.org.